go ahead and grab a Bible and head to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2 is where we're going to be this evening. As you turn there, we're in our Christmas series uh, called The Story That Never Ends. What we said last week, that it, it's a story that starts a lot earlier than you think it does. Like it's a story that starts in the Old Testament with prophecies and promises about one day Jesus would come. And then it's a story that goes on a lot longer than you think it does. It doesn't end with the birth of a baby. It goes on forever. Like Jesus becomes a man. He lives a perfect life. He dies a death on our behalf. He rises again. He ascends into heaven, and he is there today at the right hand of the Father. He's working. He's moving. We believe that he's gathered with us today. We get to experience his presence. And one day, that Jesus is coming back again. So it's really a story that never ends. And it's a story that demands a response. And that response is always worship. It's always worship. Scripture divides two categories of worship, created and creator. We worship one or the other. And so if you're here tonight, you need to ask yourself, we need to ask one another, who do we worship? Who do we worship? As you think about that question, you might immediately think, well, of course I worship God. I mean, I'm here at church, aren't I? Like, I, I worship God. I've made that clear. I've come into this church. I know Jesus. He is the one I worship. But the Christmas season has an interesting way of revealing who we actually worship. I mean, just think about it, right? Think about the lines, the crowds, and the traffic that you fight through to go shopping. You're standing in line. You're fighting those crowds. You're in that traffic sometimes to worship, to look upon things, to gaze upon things with wonder and think, I want that. I need that. If I got that, it would make me happy. Now, you think, I would never say that, but that's what's in your heart. We Worship, we do that with shopping, we do that with other things as well. Some of them are vices, like sex, alcohol, food, greed, but some of them are harder to detect, like some of them are like shopping, things that seem good or at least neutral, but that we make into a God, like they go from being a good thing to a, a God thing in our lives, and then some of them are like even things that we think of that are really good, like family, like your kids or your siblings or your parents or your extended family, when we make that ultimate, we make that from a good thing to a, a God thing, we begin to make it the object of our worship. And it was never meant to be the object. It was only meant to be the means. For all of us, as you look at your life, functionally, there's things that we worship instead of Jesus. We find ourselves worshiping the created instead of the creator. That plays out in the Christmas story in our lives, and that plays out in the Christmas story in Matthew 2. So I want you to look at the text with me. Matthew 2, we'll start in verse 1. It says this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. So the scene starts not in Bethlehem. The scene starts in Jerusalem. And the wise men, verse 2, are saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him, they're all troubled, and assembling all of the chief priests and scribes of the people, those were all the religious leaders, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Verse 5, they, the religious leaders, told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. This is a prophecy from Micah 5.2 in the Old Testament. They quote this. It says this, verse 6, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. 
and he sent them to Bethlehem, Bethlehem, about six miles south of Jerusalem, saying, Go and search diligently for this child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. So we're introduced to this guy, King Herod. And there's a couple things you need to know about this guy. The first thing is this, that he is referred to as the king of the Jews. Remember last week we talked about Rome, right, and their harsh rule over the nation of Israel. And they didn't have just one king. They had multiple kings because they had so much area to cover. And so Herod is in Jerusalem, and Herod is charged with the responsibility of governing the Jewish people. And so he would be referred to as king of the Jews. And so as the wise men come to Jerusalem, right, they come to Jerusalem first before they go to Bethlehem, and they are looking for the king of the Jews, but not Herod, a little baby that was born. They saw this star, they knew some of the Old Testament, and they're thinking, maybe this baby's in Jerusalem. If it's not in Jerusalem, maybe these guys will know where it is. And so they come asking this question, where is this king of the Jews? As Herod would have heard that title, he would feel very threatened because he was told this Old Testament prophecy as well. He knew that a Messiah would come and be born. And he's immediately thinking, I'm king of the Jews. This is my title. I was put in this place. I have earned this. So he immediately feels threatened, which leads me to the second point you need to know about Herod. He didn't want to worship Jesus, but to kill Jesus. You see, Herod's being deceptive. We know that by going on and reading more of the story. You need to read the story. There's way more to it. Right after this passage, we see that Herod's intent was not to worship Jesus. He wanted to destroy Jesus. So much so that he has all the babies under two years old in Bethlehem killed. Because he doesn't want any baby to take his throne. So he feels threatened. He was an interesting man. Some might say insane. He was paranoid. He felt threatened. This is who we're dealing with when we talk about King Herod in this passage. And for a lot of us, we can be quick to condemn Herod, right? We can look at him and think he's the bad guy, which he is, right? He has all these babies killed. He's deceiving the wise men. He feels threatened. We can look at King Herod and think, how could he do that? He's immediately the bad guy in the picture. Like, we've heard this story before. But how many times do we, do we respond to Jesus like King Herod? As you look at Herod, essentially, he worships himself. Now you think about it, he's worried about losing his power, his control, his status. The birth of Jesus is not about Jesus for Herod. It's about himself. He immediately goes to himself. He worships himself. How many of us do that when we encounter Jesus? Like as we look at our lives, how many of us think about ourselves instead of Jesus? Whether it's the birth of Jesus, your relationship with Jesus, you think about yourself. I know I do this in my life. A few months ago, we weren't in a community group. Community groups, if you're new, is where we look at Scripture together. It's where we do life with one another. It's really where the life of our church takes place. My wife and I were in a leadership community group, but not just in one of our regular community groups. And as we planted a new church, my wife and I, we sat down and we assessed this aspect of our lives and we thought, we need to grow in this area. And my wife was like, we, we should go just to a, a community group weekly. And I, and I was a little skeptical, like, maybe. I, I mean, that's sure that's a good idea. We probably should, but I don't know. Like, I don't know as the pastor, like, should I go to just one of our normal community groups because then people will actually get to know me. <laughs> like, maybe my status... Maybe the perception that I think people have of me will be a little bit diminished because they're going to see our lives. They're going to see that we're not perfect. They're going to get to see some of our junk. We're going to have to be vulnerable with these people. I'm not sure if I want to do that. I mean, I know I should, 
Because I was worried about losing the perception people had of me. I was worried about losing the status that I held or I thought I held, the position and the perception that people had of me. I was worried about losing that. Yet I know Jesus is calling me to community. I've encountered him. I know he wants this in my life, but I was tentative. I was threatened that I may lose something in my life. By God's grace, I have a wife who challenges me, and we went to a community group, and we've been going almost every week since, and I love it. I'm so glad that we're a part of this community. I'm so glad I didn't let the worship of myself get in the way, but it's been messy. Like, we have two little kids, and so we have them on the iPad in the other room while we're doing community. And I don't know what it is, but my son, Ashwin, he's two, and he turns up the volume as loud as it can go on the iPad. Like, it never fails every single time. He knows how to brush the iPad to where the volume goes all the way up. And so just on Wednesday, it's so loud, like Door of the Explorer. It's so loud, we can't focus. And I just, you know, Jaya's, God bless her, Jaya's going to the other room, trying to turn down the iPad every five minutes, and finally I just yell out, like, Ashwin, turn the volume down. Like, keep it down. And I don't know, maybe I shouldn't do that, I'm the pastor, whatever, but like, I, these people get to see my life, and it's, it's messy. But I entered into that, honestly, not because I love being vulnerable, love being authentic, but because I've encountered Jesus, and I had to get over the worship of myself to the worship of Jesus. I had to let go of my power, my position, my status to be in community with other believers. Do you find yourselves worshiping yourself? As you look at your life, as you look at your relationship with Jesus, as you encounter Jesus, do you find yourself worshiping yourself? As God calls you into community, like me and like we're all to be in community, how many excuses do you come up with that, man, that would be, that could be awkward, that would be vulnerable? I mean, people aren't really going to know what I've been through in my life. People won't relate to what I have experienced. And so you don't go to community group. You end up worshiping yourself. How many of you have encountered Jesus and he's calling you to serve? He's calling you to serve in the church. He's calling you to serve other people. And you think, my schedule's really tight right now. Like if I were to begin to serve, if I signed up to serve in and through the local church, like that would be really tough. I would have to move some things around in my schedule. And we think, Jesus, you're going to rob me of my schedule. And so we don't serve. How many of you, Jesus has encountered your life and he's calling you to give? Like some of you are thinking this is where he calls us to, to tithe and give offerings. Yes, that's a part of it, but to give to others and to give to those around you because Jesus has given to you. As you look at your life, you've encountered a generous God. He's calling you to give to those around you, but you think, I don't know. Like things are tight financially. We, we have some financial objectives we're trying to achieve in our lives, like the, the 401k, the Roth IRA, the, the car we're trying to save up for, the house we're trying to save up for. I don't know if right now we can give. And we think maybe later. And if we really evaluate our lives, that's not just putting off serving, giving, and community. It's an issue of worship. Just like Herod, we are worried that if we follow Jesus, if we really worship Jesus, that he will take things from us. And so we worship ourselves. As you look at your life, do you do that? It could be easy to condemn Herod. As you look at your own heart, your own actions, are you worshiping Jesus? Are you worshiping yourself? We need to ask that question. As we look at Herod, he worships himself. The wise men respond differently. Look back at the text with me. Verse 9, it says this. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. 
and going into the house. Most scholars, as a side note, most scholars believe that because of the journey of the wise men, that Jesus was probably one to two years old at this point. So your manger scenes that have the wise men, uh, your nativity scenes on your fireplace may not be accurate. That's all I'm saying. Um, And this encourages us to read our Bible. Just a little tangent. This encourages us to read our Bible. Like how many of you, you think you know the Christmas story? You've read Matthew 2. You've read Luke 2. You've been in church your whole life, and you think, I know this story. What's he going to say that's different? You need to read your Bible, right? The wise men weren't there at Jesus' birth. They were there after. As we read our Bible, we want to read it closely because there's always more detail. There's always more to Scripture. We need to read our Bibles and see. They entered into a house, not the manger. This was past that. They enter into a house. So read your Bible. And then it says, They saw, the wise men saw, the child with Mary his mother. And what did they do? They fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. I think as we look at this passage, we've seen how Herod worships himself. We see how we worship ourselves. Obviously, we want to worship Jesus. We see the wise men coming to worship Jesus. So I think there's four observations in this passage and four implications for us in our lives about worship as we look at the story of the wise men. If you have a pen, you can write these down. The first one is this, that the wise men came and saw. The wise men came and saw. We see in verse 5, the priests and the scribes, the religious people, they told Herod, think about this, the scribes, the religious people, Herod says, where is this baby born? They quote Micah 5.2 in the Old Testament. They're religious leaders. They knew the Bible. And they quote it verbatim. I don't know if they had it handy. Seems like they memorized that passage. And they say to Herod, this is where the baby is. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. Yet we have no indication that they ever went to see Jesus. Isn't that crazy? These guys who knew the story, who knew the Bible intellectually, it's happening. Like there's a baby that has been born. It's potentially coming true. They don't know it yet, but yet we have no indication that they made the trek six miles south with the wise men. And this has vast implications for us in our lives. We can come to church. We can know our Bibles. We can memorize Scripture and yet miss Jesus. It's convicting, right? Maybe you grew up in church and you know this story. You know other stories. You do awesome at Bible trivia. You're always asking people to play. They don't want to challenge you. You know the Bible intellectually. There's a mental assent to what The Bible says about Jesus, about who he is and about what he's done. Yet you come through these doors, you go to your community group, you go to your Bible even at home, and you're not changed by it. You don't go and encounter Jesus. You merely go through a process that you're used to going through out of routine. As we look at the religious leaders, that should be a warning to us. That the goal is not mental assent. The goal is worship. The goal is that we would come and see Jesus, the Christ, the baby that was born, the man who lived and died, the king who is ruling and reigning even now. Listen, if we miss that, if we miss Jesus during the Christmas season, during any season, we've missed all of it. If we don't see Jesus, there's really no point to this. There's no point to planting a church. I mean, why? Why so we can come sing songs? So we can just look at a book? So we can talk about things like we know Jesus? That's a social club. That's an organization. That's a 501c3, not a church. A church is a group of people who are coming, who are seeing Jesus. And we need to look at our lives. Are we coming to see Jesus during this Christmas season? Are we coming to see Jesus 
Do we know all the scripture, but are we missing Jesus? As you come into church every Sunday at 5.30 p.m., I want you to see Jesus. I don't want you to see me. I don't want you to see our band. I love that you get to see each other. That's part of it. But ultimately, I want you to see Jesus. And notice about the wise men that they came expecting to see Jesus. Like in Matthew 2, they came expecting to see Jesus early on in the passage. It says they came to Jerusalem asking, where is this king of the Jews being born? We want to go and worship him. They came with expectancy. As you're here tonight, did you expect to meet Jesus? Are you coming to see or are you just coming out of routine? Every time we gather together, we believe that we get to engage Jesus Christ. Do you come with that kind of expectancy? Do you sing songs with that kind of expectancy? As you open up your Bible, do you have the expectancy that Jesus is going to impact and engage you and your heart and your mind? We want to come and see Jesus, much like the wise men did. We want to worship Jesus. The second thing we see is that they come and rejoice. It says they rejoice exceedingly with great joy. I think it would have been enough to put rejoiced, period. But they, they want to clarify. They want to go a step further. Rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Just in case you were wondering, like, were they genuine? Yes. They rejoiced exceedingly. Did they, did they really rejoice? Did they half-heartedly rejoice? No, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. We see that they rejoice. The other night, we were going to our community group, and... It's great. In the neighborhood, there's all these Christmas lights everywhere we go. And we're driving along to our community group, and we start to see these Christmas lights. And my son, who's two years old, begins to see the Christmas lights, and he's amazed. Like, he sees the Christmas lights on the houses, and he's like, ooh, look at those lights. Ooh, how about those lights? <laughs> ooh, look, snowman. Oh, penguin. Penguin. Penguins can't fly. Penguins can't fly. He's looking at all the lights, and he's going nuts. He's just amazed, and he's just nonstop. He's amazed. He's rejoicing at the lights. And about halfway through, my daughter, Neela, who's five, says this. She says, Ashwin, you're going to really love Christmas. <laughs> like, this is just the beginning. This is just week two of December. There's so much more to come. Like, there's the gifts. There's baby Jesus and celebrating that. She was saying, this is just the beginning. Yet he was rejoicing. As you look at this passage, this is just the beginning. As the wise men go before Jesus, this is just the beginning. He hasn't done any miracles yet. He hasn't taught anything yet. He hasn't died on the cross for our sins yet. He hasn't rose from the dead yet. He hasn't ascended to heaven. They don't have the rest of the Bible. Can you picture that? As the wise men go to see baby Jesus, they have no idea what's about to happen. They don't know how the story goes on. Yet, they rejoice. And not just rejoice, exceedingly with great joy. I don't even know what that looks like, but it sounds amazing. It seems like it might look a little bit like my son, how excited he was. He was rejoicing. The wise men were rejoicing. Do you rejoice because of Jesus? Like, I think the problem for most of us is that we're waiting to rejoice. Like, we think, as soon as my finances get in order and I get out of debt, then I'll rejoice. As soon as my marriage is thriving again, then I'll rejoice. As soon as I find that spouse, then I'll rejoice. As soon as I get this to-do list done over the Christmas holidays, then we'll find time to rejoice. As soon as we get all our shopping done, then we'll find time to rejoice. As soon as we get the family stuff, the food, all that figured out, then we'll actually stop and rejoice over the implications of the birth of Jesus. We're waiting to rejoice. We think one day I'll rejoice. One day when these things are figured out. One day when these things happen, then I'll rejoice. The wise men rejoice with not too much information. 
I just knew the beginning of the story. We know the whole story. We see Jesus in all of his glory. You know the whole story. You know that Jesus is coming back to rule and to reign. That your finances, that your sin, that your sickness, that your strife will all be made right. That one day Jesus will reconcile all things to himself. You know that story. I hope you do. If you know Jesus, you know this isn't it. There's reason to rejoice. There's reason to sing and rejoice. That's why after we read scripture, after we preach and learn about scripture, we sing. It's not because we want to add 15 minutes onto the service order. We want to rejoice because when we look at Jesus, we can't help it. If you're not rejoicing in your life, I would ask, do you know Jesus? Do you know who he is? Do you know who he is in all of his glory? Do you see the rest of the story? Do you see that even in the midst of your pain, that Jesus is good? That even in the midst of your sin, that Jesus forgives? That should enable you to rejoice. You don't need to wait for something else to happen. You don't need to wait for one more domino to fall. You can rejoice in what Jesus has already done. Are you rejoicing in Jesus? The third thing we see in this passage is that they gave. Verse 11, it says, Out of their treasures they offered him gifts. So they gave gifts that represent their honor, their respect, their adoration. It's interesting to note that they say, Out of their treasures. They give things to Jesus that are very valuable to them. And so as we look at our lives, we want to see, do we give things that are valuable to us to Jesus? Again, this could be finances, but this is also time. This is also our energy. As I think about my life, so many times I give to Jesus, I give to others whatever I have left. Do you do that? Like, whatever I have left at the end of the day, I'll give that. Like, if I have time to look at Scripture, if I have time to spend time with Jesus, if I have time to go to my community group, like, we'll figure that out. Like, my wife will ask me about plans with people and important things that are about Jesus and are about ministering to other people, and I'll just think, we'll figure that out later. Like, I got a lot of important things to do. And I leave my lowest amount of energy for my family. I leave my lowest amount of energy for our church. I leave my lowest amount of clarity for Jesus. Are you giving Jesus out of your treasures? Are you giving to the church out of your treasures? Are you giving to others out of your treasures? Jesus has given much to us. He's been generous with us. We need to give much back to him. Not because we have to but because we get to, because we get joy as we give. And so that's why on Christmas Eve, we're going to do this feed of family. We want you to come to church on Christmas Eve. We're going to worship together. It's going to be a great time. But we want you to bring a bag of groceries to feed a family. We're partnering with this church, Grace Lutheran, to be a blessing to some of their people who need food and who could use a, a meal on Christmas Eve. You should have received a flyer as you walked in. You can see more details about what items we need. But we want you to bring gifts so these people can enjoy the blessings of God also in a tangible way. So we want to give. As a new church, you guys have given sacrificially. You've given of your time, of your finances. We want you to do that with joy because of what Jesus has already done in your life. We want you to, to give as the wise men gave the fourth thing you see is that they weren't the same. The wise men weren't the same. Verse 12, they don't go back the way they came. Like when it comes time for them to leave, they don't go back the same exact way they came. They had a dream that Herod actually wanted to destroy Jesus, that some bad things were going to happen. So they go back a different way. We don't know everything that happens with the wise men afterwards, but we see as they encounter Jesus, Something happens. Here's the point of all of this. How Herod responded to Jesus, how the wise men responded to Jesus, 
is not much different than the way we respond today. 2,000 years later, we still have the same choice to make. Who will we worship? Will we worship ourselves like Herod? Or will we worship Jesus like the wise men do? Will we come and see? Will we rejoice? Will we give? Will we be changed by encountering Jesus? We have the same choice to make today. And so how do we know? Like as we look at our lives, how do we know functionally what choice we're making? Again, you can write these down. I think there's a lot of ways to know. I think these three are really prevalent in all of our lives. The first one is this, what we talk and think about. Like you can know functionally, who are you worshiping? What are you worshiping? You will worship something. What is that in your life as you look at what you talk about and think about? Like those things in your life that you get so excited about, you can't stop thinking about them. You can't stop talking about them. To the point where it's, it's unhealthy. It goes from a, a hobby to an idol in your life. You sacrifice other things for these things. Other things that are good, like your family, like God, so that you can go play golf. All you talk about is your new five iron. But you don't know any scripture as your wife asks you, hey, can we, can we start to study scripture together? Like, can we start to read a few verses a night? And, and you don't have time for that because of your job? And it's a job you're really passionate about. It's a good job. It's a blessing in your life. But it's taking away from time with God. It's gone from a good thing to a God thing. What do you talk about? What do you think about constantly? What controls you in that? It's not bad to have hobbies. It's not bad to love your job. It's not bad to get excited about things. I love sports. Like, I love sports. I'm a pretty simple guy. If you haven't got to know me, it doesn't take that long to figure me out. Like, I love Jesus. I love our church. I love my family. And I love sports. That's as simple as it gets. Um, so much so that my wife will tell me, like, Tim, you probably should think of some other illustrations. Like, not everybody connects with the Dallas Cowboys. Like you, you might want to diversify a little bit. And honestly, I don't write that in my sermon. It just comes out. I did write this in my sermon. But I, I just, I love sports. I'll talk about it with you if you give me a few minutes. I love, I love sports. I love playing sports, watching sports. If I'm not careful, sports is a great thing. It's a, it's a fun thing to participate in. It's a fun thing to watch and keep up with. But if I'm not careful, I will involve myself in sports and keeping track of stats and who on my fantasy team did well and what are the Cowboys going to do tonight? Are they going to win the division or not? And I will do that to the detriment of my family. I will do that to the detriment of my relationship with God. And a good thing becomes a God thing in my life. What is that for you? Maybe it's not sports, but maybe it's something else. Maybe it's reading books. Maybe it's a lot of good things in your life that you get so passionate about that you have begun to sacrifice your relationship with Jesus for those things. That the things in your life that were meant to be a means of worship have become an object of worship. We've gone off the rails if we've gotten that far. We need to ask ourselves, what do we think about, talk about all the time? The second thing, what do we strive and work for? Some of us, we only strive to make our spouse happy. Like if we can just make our spouse happy, then we're off the hook, everything is good. Right, we make jokes about that. If we can make her happy, then everything's, everything's legit. It doesn't matter. <laughs> like whatever she says goes. Like if your goal is just to make your spouse happy and you're not thinking about how to please your creator, You've begun to worship other people. You've begun to worship yourself. You've begun to worship other things, the created instead of the creator. The third thing, as you look at your life, how you spend your time and money. Like your iCal, your inbox, your schedules determine what you worship. Like if you were to pull out your phone and look at your schedule for this week, it says a lot about of what is valuable to you, of what's important to you. Like, what is that? Do you schedule in time to read scripture? 
Do you schedule in time with your spouse to do that? If you don't, it won't happen. Our iCal tells us a lot about our heart. It tells us a lot about who we worship. Our finances tell us about who we worship. Sometimes, as I look at my bank account, I see that I worship the chicken sandwich. <laughs> Chick-fil-A is a lot on my bank statement. Like, Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A. I'm like, Jay, we need, to, we need to do something about this. Like, we didn't have it for a year in Portland, so we excuse it that way. But um, as I look at my bank account, I see who and what I worship. As you look at your bank account, as you spend your time and money, it shows what is valuable to you. Chick-fil-A is not bad. Shopping is not bad. How you spend your time on hobbies, at work, overtime, working hard, that's not bad. But if we go too far where it becomes ultimate, above and beyond Jesus, it's an idol. We have begun to worship the created instead of the creator. As you look at your life, as you evaluate those things, what is that for you? If we just sat in that, that could be really discouraging. That could be really depressing of the idols that we have, of the ways we worship other things instead of Jesus. But I don't want to leave you there. I love you. I want you to work through that in your life. I want you to seek Jesus in the midst of some of your idolatry. And so I think there's three things that, that help us, just really practical things as we close. The first thing is we need to evaluate this. Like so many times, we don't want to evaluate our lives. We don't want to evaluate our hearts because we think that's painful. And it may be painful, but it leads to a greater joy. You need to evaluate this, these categories. You need to ask yourself. You need to journal and see, where do I see these things showing up in my life where I'm worshiping other things other than Jesus? You need to first evaluate and see those examples in your own life. The second thing you need to do is label. You need to evaluate. You need to label. You need to label it. Most likely, if you struggle with alcohol, the root of that struggle isn't alcohol. It goes deeper than that. What is that for you? Is it anxiety? Is it a, a longing to perform for your job? And so it drives you to alcohol when you can't perform in your job, when you can't please your boss. You run to alcohol. Think about this. What are the things in your life that you run to for consolidation, I'm sorry, <laughs> not consolidation. What are the things in your life that you run to when you're sad and when you're happy? Like when you're sad, what are the things you run to in your life to comfort you, to console you? What are those things? As you are happy, what are the things you run to in your life to celebrate? Again, celebrating, being sad, not bad things. But if we never involve Jesus in that, then functionally, we are worshiping other things instead of him. So we need to evaluate first our hearts. We need to go through that process. And then we need to label. What is the root of that process? Is it performance? Is it success? Is it comfort? Is it laziness? What is that for you? And then the third thing you need to do is gospel it. Evaluate, label, gospel Worship isn't just giving you more things to do. It's resting in what Jesus has already done. You always need to go back to the gospel. As you look at the potential idols in your life, as you name them, you need to go back and see, how does the gospel overcome this in my life? Some of you, as you struggle with approval, you need to know that you don't have to prove yourself. That Jesus has already done that on your behalf. And some of you, I do this, we run around like crazy, trying to be successful, trying to gain approval, trying to gain a status. And Jesus has already won that on your behalf. You don't have to prove yourself. You've already received approval because of the cross. And some of you are thinking, what, what does that mean? Do I, do I not do anything? Of, of course, you walk in that. You walk in that approval that you've already received. You can see this when you engage people who are just really confident in Jesus. 
you know these kind of people. Sometimes they annoy you. Like they're going through a difficult time, and then you're like, dude, how's that going? Like your your wife was in the hospital. Was that hard? Your finances, man, you lost your job. Like, do you doubt Jesus right now? How are you going to provide? Like, what's going to happen? Maybe by the end of that they worry, but at the beginning, at the beginning, they're like, Jesus is faithful. And you're like, come on, man. <laughs> no, like, come on, really tell me. And they're like, I just, he's really good. I know he's going to provide. We see those people who are so in tune with the gospel that it's not superficial, it's not artificial, it's an authentic belief functionally in what the gospel is in their lives. My hope for our church is that functionally we would believe the gospel. That in our pain, that in our strife, that in our struggle, that you would be able to say that Jesus is good, that Jesus is faithful, that Jesus is true, that Jesus is better. That that would be our testimony to other people. That we would begin to evaluate, label, and gospel our idols in our life so that Jesus might dismantle those and replace them with his good works, with his perfect person that died on the cross in your place for your sin. I want you to do that even tonight. As we think about the wise men, this is what they were remembered for. We don't know a lot about the wise men. We don't know a lot about their affiliations, about their accomplishments. We do know who they worship. Let me submit to you that you and I will not be remembered for our accomplishments. We'll be remembered for who we worship. As a church, we won't be remembered for how much we grow, for how many numbers we have, for a building we can meet in. We will be remembered for who we worshiped. As you do life in your community, in your neighborhood, people are going to look at you and ultimately remember your accomplishments, your status, your title, but they will remember who you worship. Functionally, are you worshiping the creator or the created? The only person in each one of our lives that is worthy of our worship is Jesus. Jesus as a baby, Jesus as a man, Jesus as the one who rules and reigns and is coming again. Do you worship him? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I pray that we would worship you. I pray that the answer to that question would be yes. I pray the answer to that question would be I want to. I pray the answer to that question would be how can I? God, that we would live lives in worship to you. That as we look at the Christmas story, as we look at the Christmas season, that we wouldn't get wrapped up into so many other things, worshiping ourselves, worshiping others, worshiping things, and miss Jesus. Father, we need your help. We need one another. I pray as we talk about this in our community groups this week, as we talk to our spouse when we leave, as we talk to a friend when we leave tonight, that we would evaluate, we would label, and we would gospel our idols before you. And that you would invade those spaces in our lives and enable us to worship you by the power of your Holy Spirit. Because you are good, because you are worthy of our worship. Father, help us. Help us to be a church that worships you. We pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. And then also, I have some really big news for our church. Um, we, uh, uh, some of you know our story. Um, some of you have experienced our story. We started as a church under some unique circumstances. We had four weeks to, to start an organization. Uh, we had four weeks to find a, a building where we could literally just do what we just did. Um, we could gather together and worship together. And so, uh, for whatever reason, God put Grace Lutheran um, on our plate and before us, and through random circumstances of events, not random, God did it, um, we got to meet here with literally like three weeks. 
uh, notice. And for a, a price we could pay, which is not much at all, and they've been really gracious to us. And, and we're so thankful that two and a half months in, we, we've been able to meet every Sunday as a church. We need to celebrate that first uh, before the next news. So you guys can clap for that. And uh, just be reminded of Jesus' faithfulness already to this point. But as we did that, we know we didn't want to stay at Grace Lutheran. One, just functionally, 5.30 p.m. is the earliest we can get in here. And that's just not real conducive for families. It's dark right now outside, so some of you, to be honest, are scared to come in here. It's okay. You can be honest. Um, and you're definitely scared to bring your kids. And so we just knew at some point we got we to gotta move. And ideally, we wanted to move to a, a morning location. And honestly, I didn't think it was going to happen. I mean, I think I've said it here a couple times. Don't get your hopes up. Like, this probably isn't going to happen. We're probably going to keep meeting at Grace at 5.30 p.m. until something comes along. About two weeks ago, um, I was fairly frustrated uh, with not finding a place, despite the fact that I've told you not to be frustrated. I was frustrated, and I just started cold calling places. And one of the places I called was ASU Preparatory Academy on 7th Street, and just asked them, hey, do you have an auditorium? And then two, would you be interested in renting it out to a church every Sunday? And as I talked to this guy, he said, yeah, let's do it. When do you need it? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how to respond to that. I don't know if you realize what you're saying. And, um, but nevertheless, I went and looked at the facility, and it was amazing. And I thought, this would be way too expensive. But it wasn't. Um, and I thought, surely there's going to be a catch, and these guys are going to realize what they're committing to, and they didn't, and they haven't yet. Um, and uh, just this last week, they agreed to allow Phoenix Bible Church to move in their facility on January 11th. Yeah. So listen. January 11th, we will launch kind of publicly as a new church. We've been kind of underground, if you will, uh, these last couple months. And we will launch more publicly on January 11th at 10 a.m. Uh, and so be excited for that. This will, yeah, keep clapping for that. My kids won't fall asleep on the way to church anymore, I don't think. Uh, hopefully your kids won't either. And um, it'll just be a time where we can engage more people with the gospel in a space that we can engage more people with the gospel. And I want you to know that this is not normal. Like some of you have experienced this process with us and you're just like, well, I guess this kind of stuff just happens. No, it does not. Like I've been a part of a church plant before. For four years, we set up and tore down in a pre-K elementary school for what we're going to pay for this school. We don't have to set up and tear down at this school. We don't have to pull a trailer. They're going to give us on-site storage. This is like a church planner's dream. Uh, so I want you to know this is not normal that for some reason God wants Phoenix Bible Church to happen. Like, I don't know how we're here now. I'm not being dramatic. Like, I honestly, I don't know how these things have happened up until this point. I did not think we would find a morning location, not in January. But God is behind this church. God is empowering this group of people to do what we talked about tonight, to worship Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Like, we're not trying to, to make this happen. Like, I'm not butting my head against the wall trying to, to make this happen. You are not either. God is doing this. He is doing this. It's amazing to see. And so I want to give you a few details about the facility and, and so you can plan and just so you can know and celebrate with us. One, it has an auditorium with built-in seats, which again is huge. We don't have to set those up or bring those in. It has 600 seats. Uh, so some of you are thinking it's going to be a little light, and it will be. Uh, but we're going to pipe and drape some of that area so it feels a little bit more tight-knit. The cool thing about this is unless they kick us out or unless we decide to leave, we can stay there and grow there. Despite the fact that we're renting, we can have a church home for our church family. This is huge. As a church plant, uh, some of you guys were at the marriage seminar, and you heard Mark Buckley say, uh, chronicle how many times his church moved around. Like he's been there 30 years at Living Streams Church in north central Phoenix, and they moved from an elementary school to another school to another place to another place. By God's grace, we may not have to do that. We may just be able to stay there. 
And if we grow beyond 600 by God's grace, we could start two services. That's way down the road, but we could have a home as a church. We could start to plan things, and this is kind of the way we do things. This is who we are as Phoenix Bible Church in this place, in this part of the city. It's a huge deal. It has lighting that we can adjust, uh, so we don't have to bring in our lights. It has a screen that drops down. It has a stage already there. Again, this isn't normal. That doesn't normally happen uh, in church plants, but this place has all of that. It has a great kid space um, with plenty of room for our kids, again, to grow in. Uh, it has on-site storage. Our band may be able to rehearse there. You should clap for the band because that's a big deal. Um, so it's just, it's just uh, God's provision. Uh, God is amazing. God's done uh, so many amazing things in two and a half months. Not just finding us a facility, but bringing together a family centered on the gospel. By seeing people walk in repentance. By seeing lives changed. By seeing people begin to see what it's like to share the gospel with their neighbors, with their coworkers. Begin to enter into the mission of God. I don't know if you get to hear these stories as much as I do, but God is up to something big. It's his mission for his glory, and we get the joy of experiencing part of that. I said this as um, we gathered, some of the leaders gathered the other night at the facility at ASU Prep, and we prayed together for what God would do in this space. And what I said was, I'm not planning a church. <laughs> like, we are planting a church. So I want you to experience this journey with us. I don't want us to wait to rejoice till we get to January 11th. I don't want us to wait to rejoice till we get to 200 people. I don't want us to wait to rejoice till the next thing. I want us to rejoice now. This is an amazing mission, an amazing local church that we get to be a part of, to see Jesus, to encounter him, and to worship him. I want you to rejoice and experience that process with me, and let's do that together.